Hello and welcome to the Haiku P podcast, episode 22 of the fourth series. I'm Patricia and this time I'm going to read you some long haiku. Now this was a Marmite task. Many of you might be asking, what is a Marmite task? Well, it's something you either love or hate. It's based on a spread for sandwiches or toast that you find in the UK. And people either love it or hate it. I think many of you found that it was quite difficult to write long haiku after many years of trying to pare down your work to essential words. But this time we were looking to free you up to use words that you would perhaps reject in today's contemporary minimalist style. It became clear within the first few days of submissions that the type of submission we were looking for were generally over 16 syllables. So whilst I asked you not to count them, I did the counting of the syllables for you. And we cut off anything that was not experimental or less than 16 syllables. Now, as usual in the special podcasts, we'll start with some previously published work and then we'll move on to your original work. I have three judges who've picked their favourites for us. Robert Horobin, Giddy Nielsen-Sweep and Vandana Parashar. I'll read Gideon Roberts' nominations and their commentaries. Sometimes, you know, it can be a bit daunting to hear your own voice speaking to you. I'm still not used to it. So remember, if you'd like to take part in the discussion for the judge's choice and write a commentary of around 350 words or less, but you don't want to talk on the podcast, that's fine with me. Just get in touch and we'll sort out a date. So shall we get started then? Previously published work first. And of course, I'll read the poem and then tell you who wrote it. With perhaps a couple of exceptions. And one of those is the first one. Appropriately, it's by Mark Gilbert, who was responsible for bringing us this topic. Do go and read his poem in the show notes because I can't really do it justice on the podcast. And while you're there, have a read of all the other haiku and senryu too. A startled row plunges through the undergrowth, runs and runs and runs and runs, runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. Mark Gilbert Through pinhole apertures in the dark cloth of night, Infinity. Alison Douglas Turner. From the Haiku P podcast, Series 4, Episode 6. Taking stock of the day, the dandelion I came across near the manhole. Oscar Luparia, Failed Haiku, Issue 68. I had a few haiku that you sent to me, and the first one comes translated by Richard Tice. Summer morning, the pauper child hauling and hugging one head of cabbage. Nakasuka Ipikiro, 1887-1946 Thanks, Richard. And this one came from Joshua St. Clair. The west wind whispered and touched the eyelids of spring, her eyes primroses. 
R.M. Hansard. Joshua wrote a little commentary for us. This poem presents a perfect morning in spring with great euphony. I love the consonants of the W and the repetition of the I. And this poem won a competition in 1899, when in Britain, the editors of The Academy announced the first known English language haikai contest. Isn't it interesting that it probably wouldn't be published today in a mainstream journal, much less win a contest? And by modern standards, it does have its flaws. It's in the past tense. It's written 575 and has a compound verb, whispered and touched. And it's too long, for contemporary taste, that is. It personifies spring and the west wind. It uses capitalization, And it uses punctuation, quite apart from a cut. And Joshua, I'm glad you noted the punctuation, because I'm going to talk about that early next year. I may be pushing for the comeback of punctuation. And Joshua asks... Would we call this a pseudo-haiku today, despite it winning the first English-language haikai contest? Answers via email, please. Thanks, Joshua. And to finish this previously published section. We lie on our backs, the Milky Way arcs beyond our understanding. Debbie Strange. Honourable Mention, 2018. Tokutomi Haiku Contest. And now we turn to your original haiku and senryu, and we'll kick off with Robert Horobin's choice. Thank you, Robert. Robert, as you know, is one of our house editors, and he chose this one. Queenie could eat just about anything, except that porcupine. Gary Hitmeyer. Queenie could eat just about anything, except that porcupine. Gary Hitmeyer. And this is what Robert had to say about it. Sometimes, amongst all the Yugen, the Wabi and the Sabi, a little humour breaks through. Gary's piece is a simple run-on sentence, not many words, but enough syllables for it to be considered long haiku. The haiku paints a picture of the simple joys in life, even though Queenie has this time failed to bite off more than she could chew. Though the depiction of her ambitious appetite and her failing to eat a porcupine is straightforward, Gary has left space for the reader to bring their own feelings to the poem. Poetry P prefers haiku to be set in the now, but in this poem, the could sets at least part of it in the past though it's not completely clear when we are in relation to the events being depicted. Those of us who have dogs know that they're with us for only a short time, so this could be a remembrance of a pet long gone. So perhaps a touch of monono aware mixed with the humour. Now Robert is quite right. I usually veto any submission which is not clearly and absolutely set in the present. So how did this one get through? Well, I felt when I was reading it that it was set in the present. I thought it was the poet reminiscing in the now about something in the past. Perhaps you disagree with Robert and I. Let us know. 
And if you want to know what Mono no Awari is, then I have just the episode of the Haiku P podcast for you. It's Series 2, Episode 3. And the link, as always, will be in the show notes. Thanks, Robert. Now let's continue on with our original poetry. And I'll start with a little something from me. With, it has to be acknowledged, a bit of help from Mary Poppins. Supercalifragilisticexpialidocious. Childhood. I have to admit, I'm surprised nobody else went there. 100 linked cars, plus locomotive and caboose. Longest haiku train. Charles Harmon. The author's death on the first public reading of his new long haiku. Ian Speed. Only the cry from the stretched shadow down the empty street, Harvest Moon. Martin Gottlieb Cohen. Martin, I just love the sound of this with its repeated S and Y sounds. In my head, anyway, it has a monotonous rhythm right till you get to the Harvest Moon, which becomes a final full stop. That Harvest Moon gives you pause for thought, doesn't it? Well, It did me. Alone by the waterfall, I speak my haiku, then I try to let it go. Wendy Ghent. Accepting me unconditionally, I and the autumn wind, Ram Chandran. In the late sun, a rowan tree with orange berries, Catches the light. Kim Russell. She loves anything where someone wails on a slightly out of tune piano. B.A. France. B.A. I suspect my family would say the same of me. Ripeness of the plums. An old walking stick props up the lowest branch. Christopher Jupp. The last loon on the lake, inside the closed-up cottage, the clock is still ticking. Dorothy Mahoney Dry leaves skittering across an empty parking lot. Pools of sodium light. Be sharp. The first days of autumn, sunlight warms red pantile, A flock of sparrows descend. Marilyn Ward. Thunderclouds, a peahen's cry unfurls. The hundred eyes of a peacock. Mira Rame. Valentine's Day. Afternoon at the chocolate store. Men, 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 men. Marielle Herbert. Ah, Marielle. This made me chuckle. I had visions of our local Sprungley shop crowded out with chaps buying their beloveds some beautiful Swiss chocolate. Easter Monday. The sky a little bluer with every daffodil. Tony Williams. No longer seeking a reason for everything. Red rhododendrons. Alvin B. Cruz. 
A gaggle of poets writing about a skein of geese. They fly by today. Pat Gear. Wings flutter. I dream I'm a tiger swallowtail for a split second. Nina Singh. Counting colours back into the rainbow, another boy quotes from Star Wars. Alan Summers. Lunar Eclipse. Our hand-woven rug unravels a universe of moths. Dorothy Burrows. Sturdy wind gusts stitch to the window a few leaves on her quilt pattern. Laughing Waters. Subtle air dancer. Autumn breezes strum the strings of a spider's web. John Hawkhead. The cool rains cover the ground with the first autumn leaves. Cinnamon stick tea. Michael Barabo. Autumn morning tea. A spider traverses the garden on my bedsheet. Richard Sharma. Autumn Loneliness, another batch of poems sent to random journals. Jackie Chow. Jackie, you write in such a heartbreaking fashion about the process of submitting your work to journals. But I think we can all identify with what you're saying, can't we? This river louder after days of rain, sunlight falls between the grey. E.L. Blizzard Autumn downpours, dashing along the canal path, just me and the pied wagtails. Claire Ninham Autumn drizzle hides the hillsides, under a spreading oak, sodden sheep shiver. Jenny Wynne Hyatt I'm not sure that I can do justice to Jenny's punctuation when reading this on the podcast. So do go back and have a read of it in the show notes. I'm going to talk about punctuation in a podcast in the near future. But Jenny has punctuated her poem midway through line two. I like it. My mother-in-law counts the meatballs on each plate. Dinner equinox. John Green. Water on the pavement. Before it evaporates, a dove drinking. Mark Brimble. Below zero, a hand holds its cigarette out the trailer window. Kristen Lindquist. Winter blossoms. The elderly couple shiver together in the shower. Robert Whitmer. Robert, I'm so pleased you wrote this poem. It's a topic exercising my mind at the moment. I may have told you. The way you become invisible as you get older. People assume you don't have the needs and desires of your youth. And it's so wrong. If my children were reading this, they'd probably grimace at the image in the poem. But Robert, I love it. Thank you. Etched in fresh snow, two stars above a sickle moon, the injured deer. Barbara Sabol.
Winter whitecaps on the Pacific Ocean. Her disappearing nouns. Mimi Ahern. Mimi, this is another poem for me that deals with an important topic. It highlights the subject of memory loss, possibly even the onset of Alzheimer's in a gentle way. It's rather poignant though, isn't it? And here's another one that deals with memory loss. At yet another menopause memory lapse, your quiet grimace, Eivonka Ettinger. Eivonka, thanks for another of the poems this week that tackle a sensitive topic. The menopause memory lapse is absolutely terrifying, isn't it? I know I found it hard to handle. It's really not an easy time. Lost between the headlights a hair, I took my father's Alzheimer pills. Messia Moldovan Marbled sky, every colour from every memory, up there somewhere. Diana Seleucia And now a brief interruption of the poems for a few housekeeping bits and bobs. First of all, a reminder that there's now a new haiku prompt on the YouTube channel, this time by Robert Horobin, and it takes us on a little journey across the sea. Please do go and write some haiku to go with the prompt, and put your haiku in the comments in YouTube. There's a link in the show notes, of course. I'm very happy to tell you that Linda Ludwig is keeping an eye on our poetry on YouTube, and she'll be recommending her favourites from the prompts to be read on future podcasts. So, head over there and write some poetry. And of course, while you're there, make some comments about the other work. You know yourself what it's like to get a bit of praise from someone. It can make a huge difference to your day. Thank you to Linda for volunteering to do this for me. And of course, Robert, who sent me this month's video. Don't forget, if you have a video which might be great to encourage people to write poetry, do send it to me. I just ask that you make sure it's in landscape mode. Thanks. Now, as you know, I'm saving up for a new microphone. I'm nearly there. And I'd like to thank Sangeeta Kalarikal, Martin Cohen, Robin Smith, Linda Ludwig, Erica Blizzard, Riza Daniels, Keith Everts, Margaret Tao, Diana Hodge, Alison Douglas-Turner, Mimi Ahern, Alison Whipple, Jason Furtak, Seth Kronick, Neera Kashap, Anthony Williams, and Marilyn Ashbell, who very kindly went over to the website and clicked on the Buy Me A Coffee button last month. Thank you for your very kind donations. And of course, the help on my journey towards being able to afford that lovely shiny new microphone. If you'd like to buy me a coffee, you'll find a button on the Poetry P website. It's very easy to do. And your coffee will be donating towards projects and products that I hope will benefit all of us. James Young, Robert Horobin and Vandana Parashar, you played a blinder as editors this month. Was this our most difficult topic to edit? You know, I think it might have been. Thanks so much for the time you gave up to help me out. 
I'll see you back next year in February for our next bunch of original haiku and senryu. And of course, thank you to all of you for your support for Poetry P. Now, back to our poetry. 12.45am. Peony drops a last bloom. Dining room sideboard. Wayne Kingston. Beginning of spring. The beauty of the mountain behind the curtains. Daniela Miso. Twilight years. A pressed cherry blossom holds fragments of her memory. Bona M. Santos. A spray of cherry blossom at the hospice bedside. Sunbeams on the ceiling. Natalia Kuznetsova. Natalia, what an interesting juxtaposition of images. The sadness at the thought of being in a hospice and yet the hopeful images of the spring cherry blossom and the choice of sunbeams on the ceiling. Interesting. Height of my ego, budding cherry tree within the shadow of the skyscraper. Seth Chronic. Yosemite foothills, the individual trumpets of fiddleheads. Deborah P. Kalodji. Dandelion puff on the kitten's whiskers, a little cobweb. Marilyn Ashbell. Just when I thought the day was grey, a blue jay swoops over the lilac. Doris Lynch. Now this is another example of the punctuation style I spoke of earlier. An M dash, midway through line two. And that, of course, creates more or less two equal parts of the poem rather than a fragment and a phrase. And in this instance, I think there's quite a leap of mood between the two parts of the poem, which I think comes about because of Doris's use of colour. I'll be looking at colour in January's podcast, and that will be our first writing topic of 2022. Colour in your haiku and senryu. Submissions in February. Don't forget to sign up for the mailing on the website so you don't miss any of the topics. A gentle breeze. The falling leaf changes its direction and mine. Mark Forrester. Tropical fish sway in the translucent shore break of our honeymoon. Lee Hudspeth. Indian Reservation, the wild wind runs through the manes of carousel horses. Eugenius Sikarski. A soccer training, the smallest boy following a yellow butterfly. D.V. Rosich. Cicada song all gone, one air conditioner still drones before dawn. Alison Whipple Fireflies light the summer eve, gleeful children dart in search of magic. Kath Wren Intoxicating scent, in the last rays of the sun, the wine matures. Ava Drobner Summer morning, 
the light of yellow bangles on the temple street. Srinivas S. Summer afternoon, we end our argument with sweet lemonade. Mona Beddy. Mona, if you take this on face value, you could read that the argument is over and everything is fully forgiven on a sweet note. But I got to thinking about it. Even sweet lemonade has an undercurrent of tartness, doesn't it? Could there be a remnant of the argument left between your two proponents? I wonder. Chanterelles in the hand, smelling so pleasant, even in my fingers. Samo Kreutz On a sultry moonless night, the tomcat outside wails. Insomnia. Christine Wink Harrison Heidong Temple, climbing a hundred and eight steps. One temptation at a time. Richard Tice The myco performs a graceful dance. A lone flower sways with the wind. Paul Callas Breaking the pre-storm silence, a medley of modern jazz from Grandma's wind chimes. Tracy Davidson Grandpa's gramophone, the popular melodies of the day, slightly out of tune. Vandana Parashar Peering under a rock, discovering fellow naturalists. Ronald K. Craig Great Barrier Reef, below the glass-bottom eye, all life is grey. Krista Pandey That dark hour, halfway between dusk and dawn, moonless, alone. Linda L. Ludwig Morning Meditation, the ring of the bell, the rumble of a garbage truck. Sarah Paris Pink dustpan and brush, sunlight tickles wallpaper. Cozy blue socks, smile. Alexander Clark As the storm approaches, she lights a green candle. Tornado warning. Roberta Beach Jacobson Sail on school supplies, the retired teacher's slow walk down the aisle. Pat Davis Juvenile offender, dark matter binding the arms of barred spiral galaxies. Joshua Sinclair 40th birthday Saxophonist wannabe blows away some fog. Robert Kingston First tennis lesson. Unlearning ping-pong habits and badminton swings. Douglas J. Lanzo Hot summer evening. A lonely teenager listens to the Angelus Bells. 
Liam Carson. Now, Liam, I must tell you that this took me right back to my teenage years. I can just see myself sitting in one of my grandmother's hayfields being a sulky teenager and listening to those bells ringing. Vaccination queue. Slowly moving forward, one spot at a time. Rob McKinnon. Japanese garden. Through the Shinto gate, the greeting by a brush turkey. Giddy Nielsen Sweep. And speaking of Giddy, let's hear her nomination for the judge's choice. The receding wave carries a turtle hatchling. Father's nursing home. Richard L. Matter. The receding wave carries a turtle hatchling. Father's nursing home. Richard L. Matter. Kitty says, When I first read this haiku, I was struck by its poignancy. Turtle hatchlings are so vulnerable. They are hatched in a sand hollow. Then instinct kicks in, urging them to struggle across the loose sand towards the sea. A receding tide draws them into safety from the circling gulls that pick them off in numbers for a tasty meal. We have a closely guarded hatching site four hours away, north of Brisbane. The community tend to it. The first line of this poem, The Receding Wave, sets up the image. We're right there on the sand, watching the tide, and the reader feels a sense of something going out or away. It might even be drawing us with it. In the second line, we're swimming along with a baby turtle, immersed in the ebbing tide, being carried out to sea. But in the third line, we're jolted into reality. We're in father's nursing home, with the fear of him being drawn up into the next life. Yes, Giddy. We can see a clear link between the fragment and the phrase in this poem. The receding wave is taking both the hatchling and potentially the father away from us, as we view the scene in our minds. In using the gentle image of the wave, I can't help but think Richard is offering us a vision of being at peace. Thanks, Giddy. Emergency room. Second stretch into decades on the longest day. Sherry Grant. Reconnoitering the split jiggery twitchings of its antennae. Brett Brady. Twisted Diffenbachia. Finally, I make peace with my crooked toes. Avinda Kaur. Lazy August Day. My grandson's long conversation with Big Bird and Buddha. Bruce H. Feingold. Bruce, I really adore the images you've put together in this poem. It's such a simple picture you've drawn. Nothing complicated about it. And we can picture ourselves at the scene. Or at least I can. I'm sitting in a deck chair in your garden. Quite possibly dozing and half listening to that conversation going on in the background. Delightful. Grandpa's favourite story. Gets better with age. Heirloom tomato. 
Margaret Tao. Long evening shadows. Mum asks me to close the window before her last breath. Hifsa Ashraf. Diary of Remembrances. Pencil shavings in the crevice. Prick hard. Pretty cooler. Riffing on blue notes of a grey morning. Morning glory, because it can. Lorraine Padden. Lorraine, what a poem to gladden the spirits. There's been a lot of morning glory in my life just recently. First, James Young's video on the haiku moment. I hope you all saw it. And Marion Clark and Angiola Inglese chatting in the comments about them. You know what, I thought they were a weed and I've been pulling them out of my garden for years. Ah well. Beneath the harbour lights, shipyard coolies move containers. Rattling cranes glide south. Christina Chin The massive monuments of wind-whipped cypress branches call me to them. Judith Morrison Schalberger Green Fields, a model of Elysium in the developer's office. Keith Everts Southern manners over his southern temper, knife baked in a cake. David Oates All brambles in village hut, her well-crafted cormat, rush and roll on the wall. Radamani Sama Moss-laden brick church, shiny brass plaques in hushed silence awaiting once-harvested souls. Joe Sebastian Restless solitude, I open the window, and let in the moon. Mariangela Kanzi. Orion's belt, forever out of sight. My astigmatism. Debbie Strange. Kite flying festival, as if everyone talks to the sky, driving the wind. Pravat Kumar Padi. Masked faces everywhere, more than ghosts, still. Corona Halloween. Luisa Santoro. Luisa has written one of our more experimental poems this week. I tried to give it a sense of the way it's written, but to get the best from it, you should really have a look at it in black and white in the show notes. Waiting for the launch of the bouquet, the bride's friends, they take off. Their new shoes. Angiola Inglese. Early morning lake. My father, my brother, myself. The perfect cast. Bill Fay. Everyone walks away from the town square. Durian fruit cellar. Melanie Vance. The suddenness of a hawk over my shoulder, clouds that whisper rain. Craig Kittner. For me, that one's got a pivot in the middle line, so you could read it slightly differently. 
the suddenness of a hawk over my shoulder, clouds that whisper rain. Craig Kidner Loneliness slowly moving across the wall in the morning sunshine. James Young Discarded toys in the scatter of unwrapped presents, they ride the box into space. Robert Horobin A buzz from a leafless tree, the last cicada finally hushes when the sun sets. Steve Ullum Side by side, we watch shooting stars burn out. How many light years between us? Karen Harvey Watching my caricature from long short long to medium, the rugged ends of paper crayons. Lakshmi Iyer All alone in a long ramble, I listen to Ekla Cholore. Devashruti Mandal A box of old love letters. The clamouring of wild geese fades into the distance. M. Shane Pruitt Celebrating the departure of an annoying guest, my favourite ice cream. Alaka Yaravadikar Alaka, I think we've all been there, haven't we? And now to our last of the nominations for the judge's choice. Sometimes life takes turns we can't control, and unfortunately Vandana couldn't make our recording date, so I'm going to read her nomination and commentary for her. Icicle, dripping, refrozen, elongated. Icicle, dripping, puddle. Mark Farrar Icicle, dripping, refrozen, elongated, icicle, dripping, puddle. Mark Farrar And Vandana says, This haiku caught my attention from the moment I read it. I had shortlisted three haiku for nomination, but the exceptionally effective choice and placement of words in Mark's poem made it stand out from the rest. You really need to go and see it written on the page in black and white to get its full effect. Reading Mark's haiku is like reading a story and then reliving that story. And for me, it resonated on two levels. I've lived in a high-altitude area for two years, and have seen Mark's little story unfold many times. And I couldn't help but get all philosophical and find a connection with our life. But on another level, this poem hits close to home. Mark has skillfully worded his haiku to show the cycle of life. Every word takes us to a new scene, and we can actually see it in our mind as if it's happening right there in front of us, and then to the climax, puddle. That literally takes my breath away and makes this haiku exquisite. Mark's haiku makes us feel one with nature, and isn't that what haiku is all about? Kudos to Mark for penning this.
Thanks very much, Vandana. I know I say this every time, but I come to the podcast with a definite favourite in mind for the judge's choice. And then I hear and read all the commentaries, and I sway back and forth like a stem of long grass. Or perhaps, I should say, I drip and refreeze like Mark's icicle. So as I record this, I've no idea who'll be the judge's choice and who will be the honourable mentions. But I am zooming with the judges in a couple of days, so all will be revealed in the next journal, out in December. The Long Haiku podcast is finished. I think we had more submissions this time than for any other topic, even though most of you said it was really difficult. Thank you to my lovely judges this time, and to everyone who wrote for this podcast. It was a tricky one, and went against all our natural instincts, didn't it? Thanks to all of you who came along to listen to our poems. I have a little task for you, if you have a moment. Wherever you post your poems on social media, can you give the podcast a shout-out? Let people know about the work we do here. That would be great. So next time I have a real treat for you. Peter Jastermski and Brian Rickett will read from us from their recently published book of split sequences, Dust and Stone. I think you'll enjoy it. And perhaps you'll be encouraged to try them out with your haiku friends. Because, well, you know what? I'll tell you next time. Till then, keep writing I hope I've put everything you need in the show notes. If not, just email me and let me know what you need. Ciao.